following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh. And she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's the Nicole Sandler Show. Ah, welcome to a Monday. <laughs> it's another week upon us, but we are counting the days till the end of the year. And if it were only the end of the year we were counting down till, it would be less stressful. But we're also counting down to the end of another session of Congress. Yeah, and unfortunately, when the new one starts up in January, the Republicans will control the House of Representatives. And of course, they're doing their usual dance. You know, they, they need to pass a funding bill or the government runs out of money on Friday. Here we, here we go again. And um, the thing is, uh, many of the Republicans have no interest in legislating. They have no interest in doing their jobs. What they want to do is it's like a broken record. It's what they do every time they're in control, especially when there is a Democrat in the White House that is block and obstruct, block and obstruct, block and obstruct. So. I don't know. They're talking the, the the chances that they get the funding bill, meaning not a continuing resolution, but an actual, you know, year long funding bill done by Friday. <laughs> you know, don't hold your breath. They are talking about another week long continuing resolution because the Democrats are being optimistic. They think they're going to get something done. You know, um, I, no, they won't. No, they won't, because um, Kevin McCarthy thinks he's going to be speaker, and who knows, he probably will be, but just know that it's going to be a tough road for him to get there because their margin of uh, majority is very small, and basically he needs every single Republican to vote for him. He can't lose four votes, but he's already lost four votes. So there's a whole dance going on over there while they need to get this work done. So who knows? I'll tell you something. When it gets to this kind of stuff, this is the kind of politics I really don't like. I just really don't like. So I started thinking today, you know, what what major issue is still out there, is still standing, but basically has been ignored or forgotten about by, well, by most of the country? And then I got to thinking and hearing all the ugliness from, you know, today's Republican Party about um, the deal that President Biden cut to get Brittany Griner home. Now, whether you like Brittany Griner or not, she is an American citizen. She was busted in a Russia airport. Because she had medicine on her. It's something that is medicine in this country. She had some vape uh, cartridges, cannabis oil that I know helps with pain relief. She's a professional athlete, and I understand she's got a lot of pain. Anyway, uh, whether she you know screwed up or not, and obviously she did, because you don't go into a foreign country with um, an illegal substance. Even if it's not illegal at home, even if you have a prescription for it, once you cross the border, you're living under their laws. And so she screwed up. Did she deserve nine years in a Russian penal colony? Hell no. 
Should we have done everything possible to get her out? Hell yes. Was it a good deal to get to trade this merchant of death boot for her? I don't know. But I did read that he was his sentence. He served most of his sentence. And it looked like he would have been released in 2029 regardless. So four years from now. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. But an American citizen was sent to a Russian penal colony because, you know, Vladimir Putin wanted to make an example of her, and he wanted this Russian prisoner back. Now, what we have learned in the days since Friday, since Brittany Griner was released, is that um, the Trump family, they just don't know when to shut the fuck up. First, Donnie Jr. It's like, he, he, they, they get released this WNBA player who hates America. Really? You got proof? Tell me, tell me on the doll where she hates America. But then it, it was bad enough that, that Jr. said it. Then Daddy Orange Monster uh, said the same thing. Really? And then he starts bragging. I would have gotten uh, uh, Will and out. Well, no, you wouldn't because you didn't. In fact, Paul Whelan, yes, a former Marine who had some troubles. He was not like Mr. Gold Medal uh, winner. I know it's the wrong medal metaphor, but um, he wasn't an exemplary uh, military man in the U.S. military. The man had problems, and th- that shouldn't be held against him, nor should Brittany Griner's, you know, uh, the fact that she was smoking a substance that's illegal in Russia be held against her. Again, it's an American citizen. But Paul Whelan was taken prisoner in Russia while the former guy was president. You know what he did to get her out? You hear that? That's the sound of nothing. Nothing. He did nothing. And then he's like, I would have gotten her out. Well, now we learn that actually, remember Fiona Hill? She testified in, in I think, in the impeachment hearings. Um, Fiona Hill, former National Security Council Russia specialist, said this weekend... That Donald Trump, here's a quote, wasn't particularly interested in securing the release of Paul Whelan. Uh, Hill said a prisoner swap was raised several times by Russian officials who, quote, had every intent on trading imprisoned Americans for individuals in U.S. custody. And Donald Trump didn't care. In fact, Paul Whelan's brother, I believe it was his brother, David, took issue today with Trump's newfound interest in his brother's case. And he tweeted out, this is David Whelan, Paul's brother, tweeted, quote, Former President Trump appears to have mentioned my brother Paul Whelan's wrongful detention more in the last 24 hours than he did in the two years of his presidency in which Paul was held hostage by Russia. Then in parentheses, he writes zero. And then he continued, I don't suggest he cares now any more than he did then. Again, in parentheses, zero. So while, you know, the right is just they'll take any opportunity to slam the Democrats, own the libs, because, you know, that's what they live for. 
has anybody told them they don't actually own any libs? Just, you know, might want to throw that in there. But it got me to thinking, what other political prisoners are being held? And not just around the world. I did a little search. What political prisoners are being held here in the U.S. or other places? Not not political prisoners like Brittany Griner or a political prisoner of Russia. But who's America holding? And one name rose to the top of the list immediately because I've covered his story a number of times over the years. And I'm talking about Leonard Peltier. Leonard Peltier, um, here, let me share with you from, from one of the things that I pulled up on uh, political prisoners, just because I can paraphrase, but I'll, I'll, I'll ramble. Let me read to you what um, one of these compendiums of political prisoners says about Leonard Peltier. He was an activist in the American Indian movement whose goal was to organize indigenous communities to stand up for their rights. Sentenced to life as a result of a COINTELPRO operation, he has been imprisoned for 46 years for killing two FBI agents. The question is, nobody really thinks he did it. Peltier participated in the American Indian Movement encampments on the Pine Ridge Reservation, where a 1975 shootout instigated by the FBI occurred. Some 64 Native Americans, most with ties to this group, were murdered. Their deaths went uninvestigated by the FBI. Evidence exonerating Peltier in the FBI case was withheld by the FBI. In his appeals, the government admitted it had no evidence that he killed the two agents, suppressed evidence proving this, and fabricated other, quote, evidence. Other members of this group tried for the killings were exonerated in trial by reason of self-defense. One prosecutor admitted, quote, Your Honor, we do not know who killed those agents. Further, we don't know what participation, if any, Mr. Peltier had in it. Amnesty International, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, the American Association of Jurists, and 54 Congress people, among any, many others, have called for his freedom. A film, Incident at Ogallala, produced by Robert Redford, and the best-selling book In the Spirit of Crazy Horse, the story of Leonard Peltier, and the FBI's war on the American Indian movement made the case widely known. More information can be found at the website whoisleonardpeltier.info, and that website is still running. Now, back in, well, and, and, and the, the reason that's really relevant today is just two weeks ago, the date was November 29th of this year, 2022. Today's December 12th, but on November 29th, Seven U.S. senators sent a letter to President Biden requesting clemency for for Leonard Peltier. The senators are Tina Smith, Minnesota, Maisie Hirano, see if I can do this from memory, Hawaii, Patrick Leahy, Vermont, Edward Markey, Massachusetts, Bernie Sanders, Vermont, Brian Schatz, Hawaii, and Elizabeth Warren, Massachusetts, co-wrote the letter citing President Biden's steps towards addressing the wrongs committed by the U.S. federal government toward Native American people. Here's a little bit of the letter. It says, 
Over the past several decades, clemency for Mr. Peltier has has received sweeping support from many faith and human rights leaders, including Pope Francis, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, St. Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, the Dalai Lama, Coretta Scott King, the letter stated, each has articulated the moral imperative of granting Mr. Peltier clemency. Leonard Peltier is now 78 years old. He's been incarcerated for 47 years. There have been many attempts by organizations, politicians, community and tribal leaders asking for his release. He's currently suffering from numerous critical health conditions, including a potentially fatal abdominal aortic aneurysm. And yet, here, this letter was sent two weeks ago, a day before the 2022 White House Tribal Nations Summit in Washington at the Department of the Interior. Earlier this year, the DNC unanimously passed a resolution asking President Biden to consider clemency for Peltier. The White House has not released a statement on whether he's even considering granting clemency. So organizers with the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee shared with a, 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 a publication, Native News Online, that various tribal leaders attending that White House Tribal Nation Summit were going to lobby President Biden for Peltier's release. Well, the summit ended 11 days ago and still no word on Leonard Peltier. So I thought today would be a good day to reach back into my archives and um and and the, where I'm going back to is a, a something that'll be familiar to some of you listening, not so much to some others. Back on July 31st, 2009, yes, um I was uh hosting a nightly show on Air America Radio. Air America Radio, July 31st, 2009. Let's get in the time machine. It is Nicole Sandler here on Air America Radio, and I got to talk fast because we are jam packed tonight. I got a letter, actually, old, old fashioned snail mail, a letter from a listener named Larry Wartels, and the letter is signed Larry Volunteer, Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, Canada. And basically, he he implored me. He said, Dear Miss Sandler, do you have an opportunity on Air America Radio to give some visibility to Leonard Peltier's case before the July 28th hearing? He's been in prison 34 years, falsely convicted of murder. Well, I didn't get to it before the hearing, but it, it took the hearing took place on Tuesday, and here we go tonight. Today, I got a hold of Leonard Peltier's attorney, Eric Seitz, and, uh, well, Here's our conversation. I guess we should start at the beginning because even though he's been in jail for 33 years, there are a lot of people who don't know who he is. They may have heard his name, but they don't know the story. Can you bring us up to date on what happened? Leonard was an American Indian movement activist. He and a number of his colleagues went to the Pine Ridge Reservation in 1975 where there was literally a war going on between the traditional Native Americans who were fighting for their rights and for their survival against the United States government and the Indian Bureau of Indian Affairs and the local tribal leadership, all of which had been armed and supported by police and FBI and BIA 
uh, agents. And there had been uh, a whole series of murders on the reservation. There were more murders on the reservation per capita than any place in the United States, including uh, Detroit in those days, which was known as uh, Murder City. And so uh, this group uh, of uh, Native American activists went there. They were encamped on uh, private property, and uh, a couple of FBI agents came onto the property uh, in June of uh, 1975, and uh, there was a shootout that took place. The two uh, FBI agents, on the one hand, were shooting uh, at a group of Indians that was comprised of about 25 uh, individuals, and the two uh, FBI agents were seriously wounded. One of the Native American activists was killed. And then apparently, according to the evidence that was adduced later at the trials, somebody went down to the location where the two FBI agents had been wounded and fired additional shots that uh, killed them. In the aftermath, the uh, FBI brought in a, a whole... Uh, force of people, somewhere around 350 people or more, and uh, launched a massive investigation and search, and that ultimately resulted in four people being indicted for the murder of the FBI agents. One of those individuals, Jimmy Eagle, was cut loose because he wasn't even there. Two of the individuals, Dino Butler and Bob Robidoux, went on trial in federal court in a case that was moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, away from the prejudice uh, in the area immediately adjacent to the reservation. Leonard Peltier, the other person indicted, had escaped to Canada and was fighting extradition. Robidoux and Butler were acquitted by a jury in their federal court trial on the grounds that they had acted in self-defense in simply shooting back at the agents who had invaded the private property in the environment where basically all of the Native Americans feared for their lives because of what had been happening there on the reservation. In the aftermath of that trial, the FBI decided that they were going to have to hold somebody responsible for the deaths of these two agents. And so they decided that when Leonard Peltier was extradited back to the United States, they did not want to risk another acquittal. So they did several things. The first thing they did was they literally concocted, and this is not debated, three affidavits from a woman by the name of Myrtle Poorbear who claimed that she was Leonard Peltier's girlfriend and that he had admitted and that she knew that he had executed the two agents by firing the fatal bullets at at, uh, close range. Those affidavits were presented to Canadian authorities, and it was on the basis of those affidavits, each of which is internally inconsistent, each of which is a lie, that uh, Canada extradited uh, Leonard to the United States. Then at Leonard's trial, they didn't call Myrtle Poorbear because everybody knew that she wasn't there and that she was incompetent mentally. And uh, so they, at trial, launched upon a new strategy, which was to show that Leonard fired the fatal bullets by introducing ballistics evidence that purportedly tied a gun that Leonard had to the casing that was found at the scene of the shooting where the agents died. It later turned out that that casing had been examined by the FBI, and the FBI specialist in the laboratory had been unable to match it to the gun, 
which the FBI claimed that Leonard Peltier had. But the government conveniently did not turn over those early test results, and uh, eventually, armed with that ballistics evidence, Leonard was convicted in a trial that occurred not in Iowa, but also was shifted back to what they call Indian country, in this case in Fargo, North Dakota, before a judge who was notoriously biased against Native Americans. So Leonard was convicted based upon that evidence, and he ended up serving all this time since then and uh, is still in prison. Eric Seitz is with us. He is one of Leonard Peltier's attorneys. So a parole hearing was held earlier this week, and it was his first parole hearing in 15 years. Why such a long span of time between parole hearings? Well, because of the nature of the convictions, the shootings of two FBI agents, Leonard was also sentenced to consecutive terms, two murder terms, and then he early on uh, attempted to escape, so he had added on a third sentence for escape. As a consequence of those sentences, he had three consecutive sentences which he had to serve, and uh, each of the murder counts carries a 15-year mandatory minimum sentence and the escape three years. So prior to this, when Leonard appeared before the parole board, there was an argument that he should not have been sentenced to consecutive sentences. However, the parole board refused to accept that so that by virtue of their rulings, he only became eligible for parole after having served the full 33 years. Oh, man. Okay. Well, now let me back up and say there are so many people who believe unequivocally that Leonard Peltier is innocent. Why is everyone so convinced that he is not guilty? Well, once the ballistics evidence was found to be unreliable on which the jury had convicted him, the government at that point somewhat gratuitously said, we can't prove that he fired the fatal shots, but it's admitted that Leonard was there and then he fired his gun at the two agents, so therefore he was an aider and a better at a minimum. The problem with that argument is that the two people who had been tried as aiders and abettors in a separate case had been acquitted because of self-defense. But Leonard was never given a trial where he could assert that defense. In his trial, basically, the situation was somewhat different because he was charged as a shooter and they had ironclad ballistics evidence, according to the jury. So Leonard should have been given a retrial on that issue, but he's never been able to obtain that. Why not? He also really, well, the Court of Appeals said, basically, and there are some serious contradictions between one opinion and the next, but in a series of several opinions, the Court of Appeals basically said that even though they don't believe that he was the shooter who fired the fatal bullets, they will uphold the conviction because there was enough evidence on which he could have been convicted as an aider and a better, although that wasn't the theory of trial. So we've been unable to set that aside, nor have we been able to get the courts to reassess Leonard's sentence, because if he was only an aider and a better, he would have had concurrent rather than consecutive sentences, and he would have been eligible for parole a long time ago. So he's uh, been treated horribly in this situation with uh, serious errors that were committed by the FBI, serious misconduct by the government during the course of the proceedings, and those are the issues which have been very troubling to people over the course of this uh, history of this case. 
We are speaking with Eric Seitz. He is one of Leonard Peltier's attorneys. I found him. I tracked him down. He is on vacation. He was driving uh, up the East Coast towards Maine and talking to me on the phone late this afternoon. We'll take a break now. Come back with the second part of my interview with Leonard Peltier's attorney, Eric Seitz, on Air America Radio. Don't go away. Nicole Sandler. You're listening to Nicole Sandler. This is a song by Little Steven called Leonard Peltier. And the list of Leonard Peltier supporters in the arts, in uh, among people, everyone from uh, musicians like Little Steven and the Indigo Girls to Bishop Desmond Tutu have come out in support of Leonard Peltier. I am uh, on the phone with speaking with Eric Seitz, one of Leonard Peltier's attorneys. What happened at the uh, parole hearing this week? Do you think they're taking all of this into account? I think they are taking it into account. The hearing officer who conducted the hearing on numerous occasions made reference to the fact that this is not a typical case and that they know that Leonard has many, many influential and thoughtful people who have expressed concerns about not only his conviction but his continuing incarceration. So I would expect the parole commission to take all of that into account in determining whether or not they're going to grant or deny parole. Of course, the FBI is adamant. If you kill an FBI agent, that that's it. You know, you've got to spend the rest of your time in prison, and uh, you throw away the key, and you never should be given parole. But that's not what the state of the law is, and many, many people who are very thoughtful about this process have expressed their views to the Parole Commission uh we had some, some very powerful testimony and many letters, and we're hopeful that that will have an influence, especially at this time where the political climate has changed, where Leonard is one of a very small group of people who are still in prison from the period in the 60s and 70s when there are a lot of political cases that were brought. And uh, at this point in time, he served far more than he should have, and we're hopeful that that will all be taken into consideration. Eric Seitz with us. He is one of Leonard Peltier's attorneys. Now, I know there was some criticism of President Bill Clinton for not pardoning Leonard at the end of his term. I don't think anyone would expect George Bush to do it, but how long have you been working with Leonard Peltier? Were you around back during the Clinton days? Uh, I've been working on this case since 1989, and yes, I was very involved in the negotiations with the White House. I was personally involved in all of the negotiations, which led to an agreement by which uh, President Clinton promised to uh, grant clemency to Leonard Peltier. And we had an understanding that if we were to do certain things to provide what basically would be described as political cover, in other words, support for President Clinton when he made that action, that he would certainly uh, grant clemency and Leonard should have been released from prison before Clinton left office. On literally the night before he went uh, home, Clinton reneged on that agreement, and we were all stunned. You might also know that David Geffen, who was one of our major supporters in that effort and was a big fundraiser for the Clintons, refused to support Hillary Clinton as a consequence of what happened with that clemency effort. And through his support and the support of a number of people in Hollywood to uh, President Obama, so that whole decision, that whole history, had an impact, I think, significantly on the last presidential election 
and we're hopeful that President Obama and the people around him remember that so that if we're not able to get parole for Leonard, that we'll have some better opportunity to get clemency down the road. Now, a president doesn't issue clemency until the end of their term, although they can do it at any time. Have there been any discussions with anybody in the Obama administration about this? There have been approaches made. There are a lot of contacts with this administration. Uh, because of Leonard's health issues, that would be a reason for them to act, and, and they do act. Presidents have acted under certain circumstances like this, where somebody is older, where there are good reasons to believe that his health is deteriorating, and he may not ever get out of prison alive. So we are certainly going to make those approaches. Uh, once the Parole Commission acts, if the Parole Commission grants parole, then, of course, that will resolve the matter. If the Parole Commission does not grant parole, at that point we have an option of taking the matter to federal court. And we'll have to decide at that point whether that's something we want to do or whether we would rather pursue clemency with the administration. But we'll have to see at that time. All right. And one final question. So the hearing was earlier this week. You said you would get something in 24 to 48 hours and then the final ruling in, in about three weeks. What was supposed to come this week? The hearing officer who conducted the hearing is supposed to make his recommendations within as he told us, 24 to 48 hours, and he promised that he would do that. He did not promise that he would provide us with a copy of his recommendations, and there was some uncertainty as to whether we're entitled to get it at this stage or down the road when the full commission makes a decision. As of today, I still have not received anything from the hearing officer, so my understanding is and my assumption is that he went back and he checked with the lawyers for the parole commission and they must have advised him to withhold any circulation of his recommendations uh, until the full commission acts. But the full commission is required to act within 21 days upon their receipt of the hearing officer's recommendations, and we anticipate, therefore, that that will happen by mid-August. All right. That is Eric Seitz. He is one of the main attorneys for Leonard Peltier. If you want to help out, I'm going to post on my blog the address for the U.S. Parole Commission and their phone number and all the information you need. I should have already had it up there, uh, but I will do it during the break, so it will be there. Just go to radioornot.com. Give me a couple of minutes, and I'll get it up for you. On the other side of the break, we'll speak with Harvey Wasserman of freepress.org, who's written extensively about Peltier, and we'll uh, talk to him for more on Leonard Peltier. We'll be right back. Nicole Sandler. You're listening to Nicole Sandler on Air America Radio. We got the liars by the fire and the FBI. They lie in court, get Even the Indigo Girls there singing about Leonard Peltier and the song Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. It's Nicole Sandler back with you on Air America Radio. And as we continue telling the story of Leonard Peltier, I wanted to call on Harvey Wasserman, who is a, well, a longtime activist. He, he uh, has written numerous books and, uh, and lots of articles, and mostly at freepress.org, that get printed elsewhere. He wrote a piece just the other day that was picked up also by Huffington Post. I've got it linked from my blog. It's called How Leonard Peltier Could Leave Prison by August 18th. 
And, uh, boy, I'm sure a lot of people are hoping that that does happen. Harvey Wasserman, thanks for joining us tonight on Air America. So tell us, how could Leonard leave jail by August 18th? Well, there has to be a decision from the uh, Federal Parole Commission by August 18th. Uh, they had a hearing on July 28th with uh, Leonard and his attorney, uh, Peter Matheson, testified, the, the uh, author, um, uh, a woman from uh, who, from uh, Leonard's hometown, where he will go, uh, God willing, if he gets paroled, Cynthia Malaterre and uh, Dr. Thomas Fassett of the United Methodist Church, they all testified in front of a hearing officer for the Federal Parole Commission, which is required now to render a decision within 21 days of the hearing. So that would be August 18th, and we are hoping, hoping that Leonard Peltier will finally be paroled. I think just to put things in perspective, Leonard has been in prison for 33 years, which is six years longer than Nelson Mandela. This was 13 years wow. ago. It, it is stunning when you think about it. In the last half hour, I had a conversation with one of his attorneys, Eric Seitz, who, um, you know, I caught him in the car driving up to Maine. But uh, he was kind enough to really tell us the whole story, the whole saga, everything that, that Leonard went through and what, what his arrest was about and how he was wrongly convicted. Now, what is your involvement? You've been writing about Leonard Peltier for quite a while now. Well, I, you know, I do uh, anti-nuclear work. I'm a, uh, an environmental uh, activist and also write U.S. history and teach U.S. history. I've got a couple of history books uh, on the United States. And, of course, the history of the Native Americans is at the, the core of our uh, national story. And the, the mistreatment, the maltreatment, the uh, terrible things that have been done to the Native American people uh, are an essential part, unfortunately, of the European invasion of North America, and, uh, you know, for 500 years, since 1492, it's been a very ugly story, and Leonard Peltier's story is part of that, and we're hoping that with his release, uh, which we hope will come soon, that at least the healing can begin between the U.S. government and the Native American community. It's certainly long overdue. Absolutely. Now, Harvey Wasserman, you, you've been around many in the music world for a long time. You were one, the, the, you helped in the formation of Muse, Musicians United for Safe Energy. They gave us the No Nukes concert. So, uh, you know, I've done events when I was doing music radio in Los Angeles with Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown and the Indigo Girls who are all involved in, you know, Native American causes as well. So many people in the arts community have come out in support of Leonard Peltier. In fact, uh, in the next segment, I'm going to air an interview I recorded earlier today with Bruce Coburn, who's one of my favorite singer-songwriters, who's also been speaking out in favor of uh, Leonard Peltier. What, what, what kind of um, nerve did he touch? What, what, why has he moved so many people to get involved? Well, he's really um, uh, con- uh, conducted himself in 30 years in prison in a remarkable way. I mean, he's tremendous integrity and perseverance and uh, grace under fire. Uh, he hasn't gone bitter. He hasn't started talking about, you know, blowing people up, blowing up buildings, anything like mm-hmm. that. He's quite the opposite. He's been very, very uh, uh, even-handed and eloquent in his speeches and his writings uh, that have gotten uh, through the, the prison uh, uh, filter. And so, uh, you know, he's been a very inspiring character, and he is at the core right now of of how people feel that Native America – uh, must be uh, re- recompensed and redeemed uh, in, in the uh, in the way it's been treated o- over the past 500 years. And you know this unjust imprisonment of Leonard Peltier is just staggering. And to, to again mention uh, Nelson Mandela, you know Mandela was 
uh, finally released with global pressure, uh, he became president of the country that had locked him up and ushered in the end of apartheid. And we're hoping that with Leonard's release, uh, and we are encouraging people to write the Federal Parole Commission, uh, their address is online, and write the Federal Parole Commission as quickly as you can and tell them that you want Leonard released. Because yes, and in fact, I just... Have uh, impact and being on radio shows like yours also makes a difference. People have to call your senators, your Congress people, your the White House, and, and exert all kinds of pressure to get Leonard released. And definitely, and I posted the uh, address and the phone number for the U.S. Parole Commission on my blog. It's there at radioornot.com. It's there alongside of the documentary that uh, that Robert Redford produced and narrated, Incidents at Ogallala. So yes, and I just watched that. You can watch it online, and I, yep. I just watched it uh, last night, and it's a staggering piece of work. It uh, is, you know, just just really uh, terrifying in its way that a man w- with so little evidence. Zero evidence, really, to convict, uh, winds up in prison for 33 years. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's a terrible miscarriage of justice, and getting him out is also a necessary rehabilitation for our criminal justice system, so, you know, wrongly called so in this case because there's been no justice here. Um, but anybody who thinks they're secure in their human rights in this country needs to see an incident in Oglava and understand how, uh, how bad the conviction of, of Leonard Peltier really is. You got that right. Again, and I've got the video embedded in my blog at RadioOrNot.com, along with a link to your piece, How Leonard Peltier Could Leave Prison by August 18th, and all the contact information for the U.S. Parole Commission. So, uh, you know, I, I guess the best thing we can do right now is just get the word out and let people know that this is a crucial time for him, and we need to make our voices heard, and hopefully justice, however delayed, will be served. Yes, well, it's incredibly important that uh, he be released uh, for all of us. Uh, you know, it's a, a cloud that hangs over the whole country. It hangs over certainly the activist community, uh, of which Leonard is such an important part, and uh, it hangs over the justice system. If they can get away with putting a man in prison like this, they can, they can imprison anybody on any pretense, and we really have to uh, defeat that in this. And so people, don't, you know, don't sit around and pray and meditate. Uh, uh, send a letter to the, to the Correction yeah. Commission. Call your representative, call your congressperson, your senator, uh, the local newspaper, the, the, the radio shows, and uh, and we only have you know uh, 20 or less than 21 days now to to get him out. Right. Okay. So here, there, there's your marching orders. <laughs> Harvey yeah. Wasserman, it is always great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me tonight and staying up late to do so. Well, I, I hope our it. next conversation will be. Uh, celebrating Leonard's release. That would be great. You've got a date. We we will talk. Okay, as yeah. soon thank, as thank you very much. And take care. Th- thank you. All right, Harvey Wasserman. You can find him at harveywasserman.com. He writes a lot at freepress.org, and uh, check out his book Solartopia. It is it is great stuff. All right, uh, one postscript. We're going to take a break. Come back on the other side and talk to one of the many artists who is speaking out publicly in support of Leonard Peltier. That's Bruce Coburn. If you're not familiar with him, you need to be. It's Coburn. It's spelled Cockburn, but it's pronounced Coburn. Um, Also, we're going to end the show just uh, looking ahead an hour. I've got a friend. His name is Noah Gray. He's a 16-year-old, going to be a senior in high school, and he is a great documentarian, and he's spending most of the summer in Washington, D.C., working on some projects. And um, he, in front of the White House, has noticed these people there every day while he's been there, 
out there protesting, and one of the things they're protesting is, uh, you know, they're trying to call attention to Leonard Peltier. So Noah put together a little piece. We'll close the show with it tonight. But stand by. Coming up next, Bruce Coburn. Don't go away. Nicole Sandler. But we don't have Bruce Coburn, unfortunately. That segment seems to have been lost. Sorry. Nicole Sandler. You're listening to Nicole Sandler. The music that's playing now is a song called Stolen Land. It's from a, a wonderful singer-songwriter named Bruce Coburn. He is a Canadian artist, and uh, if you're, you, you might know the song Wondering Where the Lions Are. He's a, he's a, I've been a fan of his for probably 30 years, which is about how old Wondering Where the Lions Are is. And I noticed in some of the literature as I was doing my research on Leonard Peltier, his name was there among the multitudes of artists who um, are speaking out on behalf of Leonard Peltier. Maybe and I it got is a hold there. of Bruce Coburn today, who was also on vacation, and he, uh, and, and he broke into his vacation and agreed to take a phone call and talk about Leonard Peltier with me. What, what got you involved in Leonard's case? Well, I was just becoming aware of Native issues, for want of a better way to put it, in the 70s when the original or the second co-round of Wounded Knee happened, that led, the events that led to Leonard's arrest. And, you know, I had a number of Native friends in Canada and, and who were watching that uh, situation unfold very closely. And Leonard, of course, when it became apparent that he was being sought by the FBI, fled to Canada. And the U.S. government came to the Canadian government and asked for his extradition using what turned out to be completely specious information our government, to our great shame, bought it and sent him back to the States where he was tried in a, in a trial that was pretty close to a kangaroo court and uh, sentenced to, you know... A, a, Two life sentences. Yeah. Well, one for each of the uh, officers murdered. Right. But he was said to have been seen fleeing from the scene. That was the big piece of damning evidence that I recall. I'm, I'm not the best authority on this case. I, I'm sure there's a lot of information around it that I don't possess, but... What I recall was that somebody said, oh, yeah, we saw Leonard Peltier running away from the scene. But I was at that scene subsequently, uh, much later, in uh, South Dakota, and stood where the FBI agents had parked and looked at the spot where Leonard Peltier was alleged to have been seen running. And you couldn't identify anyone at that distance. It was like a half a mile away across a field in the rain. And, I mean, you could identify a jacket maybe or something big, but... Uh, it was ludicrous to think that that testimony was was considered credible. And then there were a whole bunch of other things that contributed to it. It seemed vengeful. It seemed to, in keeping with the the whole thing that followed the events at Wounded Knee, the, the, it's a sort of complicated story. I don't know how much of it it's appropriate for me to relate at this moment, but there was a confrontation between the American Indian movement, of which Leonard Felcher was a part, and the power structure on the Rosebud Pine Ridge Reserve. And the power structure was basically kept itself in power by means of threats and goon squad action. And after it was over, when the occupation of the trading post that wounded me by the American Indian movement was finally dispersed by the FBI, there was a campaign of systematic, basically murder of, of the leaders of the, the opposition on the reserve. I, I, 
became acquainted with the family of one guy who was murdered, and um, and it, you may be familiar with John Trudell. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. He was part of that whole scene, and and, uh, and paid a terrible price. His family was murdered subsequently, and, and his wife and children were murdered in and, and, and their sleep while he was away. And this campaign followed people around. It, went, it didn't just limit itself to the immediate area. It was... You know, because cause I think Trudell's family was in somewhere in the southwest when this happened. But it seemed to me that Leonard Peltier's situation was was part of that whole scenario of vengeance based on, well, first of all, on what had been a general policy of suppression of dissident groups like the Black Panthers and, and the American Indian Movement and various other groups during the 60s and early 70s by sort of covert side of American justice. Hence, the, a combination of that and obviously the desire for uh, revenge on the part of fellow officers of the guys who got killed and, and right. the uh, racism evident in the, in the governing circles and at the time in, in the Dakotas. All of this conspired and, and put Leonard in jail, and there he sits. Yeah, he sits. It's been 33 years now he's been in jail, and he maintains his innocence, and the, the list of supporters is growing. And like I said, what interests me so much is the support among the arts community. I mean, there's you, there's uh, Ani DeFranco, Robert Redford, Robbie Robertson, who's gotten very close with him apparently, and all these songs that have been written. Tell us about Stolen Land. Well, Stolen Land makes a reference to the Wounded Knee events that Anna May, who was mentioned in the beginning of the song, was someone who was murdered in the period immediately following the Wounded Knee uh, uh, occupation. And she was a Canadian-born person from Nova Scotia, Anna May, uh, Aquash, Aquash, uh, who um, was involved in, in the siege of Wounded Knee and who, I don't know the whole story around her death, but she was found in a ditch somewhat later on, and um, recently, actually, in the last year or two, somebody was called to account for her murder. But it's not clear to me that the person who was called to account was the person who did it. I, I, it might be, but that figures in the song. It's stolen land. I mean, I, I wrote that song not about wounded knee or, or Leonard, but about Native people throughout the Americas for the occasion of a benefit concert we were doing for the Haida people in British Columbia, who at the time, it was in the uh, early 80s, were in a state of confrontation with the federal government in Canada over uh, logging of their traditional lands. And we did a fundraiser for, for their legal fees because a whole bunch of old people were being thrown in jail for protesting. And um, it was quite successful. And But I, for that occasion, I, I realized that, I didn't really have any songs that were suitable, and my friend Hugh Marsh and I got together and wrote Stolen Land, and just seemed to fit, and it's been part of the repertoire ever since then. I have a couple of other songs. There's a song called Indian Wars that, that's specifically about the southwestern U.S., but I never wrote anything that exactly about me other than that reference in Stolen Land. Uh-huh. Uh, Bruce Coburn is with us here on Air America Radio. Now, you've never shied away from political topics. I know one time when we spoke on the air in Los Angeles, we spoke extensively about landmines and your work to to eradicate landmines from the world. A lot of your songs have an activist bent to them, and and I love that you get involved because I think it is up to artists who have a voice and a creative, talented voice at that to to let their views be known. My take on that is that, that all of us, no matter what we do for a living, 
our responsibility to basically leave our campsite better than we found it. You know, so there's there's an invitation out there to everyone on Earth to try to make to try to leave the Earth better than it was when they came into it. In the case of songwriters or other people with a public voice, there's a certain extra responsibility, perhaps, to to use that. But you've got to do what's in your heart too. I mean, I don't think that that we have to make rules around that. I think an artist has to be free to do whatever the muse calls them to do. But um, but just as human beings, I think we have that responsibility. Bruce Coburn, you've taken basically this year off. You're doing some shows. I looked on the website, and you've got some shows in Canada. You released a live solo album this year called Slice of Life. It's a double live CD. That's right. And hopefully we'll see you do another tour of the States pretty soon. I hope to, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I think we should be recording another album sometime early in the new year, and, and uh, when that comes out, of course, there'll be lots of touring. That is Bruce Coburn, and if you're not familiar with his music, check him out. Uh, the website is Bruce Coburn, although it's spelled C-O-C-K-B-U-R-N dot com, Bruce Coburn dot com. And, uh, his, he's, I mean, he's been at this for so long. I remember hearing my first Bruce Coburn record when I was in college, so it must have been, I'm dating myself, 30 years ago, like 78, 79. Yeah, that's, I think, when Wondering Where the Lions Are came out. All right. Um, in the next hour, we are going to change topics, bring you up to date on what happened today on Capitol Hill with health care. Because, you know, uh, I'm not going to let up on that fight. Um, and there is good news. Let me just tell you this, because this happened after my conversation with Brett Budowski, who's going to be joining us in the next hour. Uh, Anthony Weiner, the congressman from New York, was supposed to put forth the amendment in the House uh, um, Commerce Committee, I believe, Henry Waxman's committee, to substitute H.R. 3200 with the single-payer bill. Well, they got um, a promise from Nancy Pelosi that single-payer will come for a full vote in the full House when they return from the August break. So that's good. Stand by. Brett Budowski coming up next. And we'll go out with the music of Bruce Coburn. This is Wondering Where the Lions Are. All right. And more on Leonard Peltier uh, to finish up the show at, uh, at the top of the hour. Stand by. Nicole Sandler will be right back. Nicole Sandler. You're listening to Nicole Sandler on Air America Radio. Sandler. You're listening to Nicole Sandler on Air America Radio. All right. I guess I'm just too into politics these days because I hear whip it and I'm thinking, all right, there's a whip list at democracy.com. Or, I'm sorry, at democrats.com. So you can call all your, uh, all the, the Congress people and senators galore and, uh, you know, whip them into voting the right way. All right. We started the show the first hour talking about Leonard Peltier. Uh, and I mentioned that I have a friend. He is a, well, he will be a senior in high school when they go back to school in the fall. His name is Noah Gray. And he's done a lot of work. He, he did a documentary. He's a, he's a filmmaker. And he did a documentary called Virgin Voting during the uh, campaign uh, about first-time voters. Of course, he's still too young to vote. But he does some great work. And he, I'd have him on my radio show a lot. Um, he is now in Washington, D.C. for the summer, 
and uh, working on, uh, he's interning and doing a lot of, um, uh, uh, just a, a lot of projects. He's working with Special Olympics also, and I'll have him on the show soon to talk about that. But he saw my post uh, on my blog about that I was doing a whole piece on Leonard Peltier, and he said, he called me and he said, Every day in front of the White House, there are these guys, and they've actually got six issues, but one of them is Leonard Peltier. And so Noah went over, he shot a piece with them, he edited it, and he sent me the audio. And I thought it would be a perfect way to end the show tonight. So here, from Noah Gray. We're dancing for Leonard. Meet Franco Mares and Keith McHenry. President Obama! Residents of Taos, New Mexico, who drove four days for almost 2,000 miles to the nation's capital to hold a peace vigil outside the White House. As part of their vigil, Keith and Franco bake bread for world peace in a solar oven. Solar bread. We got solar bread by the sun. We petitioned the Honorable Barack Obama, President of the United States. They also gather signatures for a petition they have created. The change we need now. Support the change we need now. Universal health care, solar power, trains to every city, free Leonard Peltier. Of all six issues, they feel that freeing Leonard Peltier is especially important. The Native American people have been done wrong again and again and again and again. And I, I think it's time to... Stop treating the Native American people with such disrespect and such dishonor. Not only do they rally for his freedom, but they educate the sightseers about Leonard Peltier. Why was he in prison? Who was in prison? Leonard Peltier. He was arrested in 1975 for um, helping the Indians. Keith and Franco have been here since July 4th, and their ultimate goal is to present their petition to President Obama by September 1st. Because... President Obama, by executive order, could release Leonard Peltier at any time. It's time to show some mercy. It's time to show some clemency. It's time to just let him go home so that he can go to the powwow with his grandchildren. It's time to put this matter to rest and let the Native American people get on with their lives and with their human rights and with their civil rights here in this country. It's been too long, let him go free. It's been too long. Noah Gray, Washington, D.C. Too long. One, good two, job, three. huh? Noah Gray, he's a, he's a really good kid. Too long, too long. Leonard Peltier's been sitting in jail too long. Let him go now so he can go to the powwow. Let him go free, it's been too long. What happened at Wounded Knee? Well, it was a tragedy. He stood up for what was done to his family. Sometimes the government is wrong. That's why I wrote this song. It's time to set him free, it's been too long. Johnny Cash came in a dream last night, said we gotta make things right, it's time to set him free, it's been too long. 
We stole the red man's land, killed off most his kin. And if we had the chance, we'd probably do it all again. But America is theirs, not ours. We stole it using guns, firepower. Time to set him free. It's been too long. See, the FBI men, they shot first. It's been injustice at its worst. Couldn't be proved in court that day, but the judge said someone has to pay. And that's not the American way. It's time to set him free. It's been too long. Well, it keeps me up at night, cause I know it just ain't right. Let him go free, it's been too long. Tell me true, what might you do if they took everything from you? Let him go free, it's been too long. From coast to coast, from south to north, let's tell the truth for all it's worth. And let freedom's bell ring loud in the country of our birth. This song will not be over till Leonard Peltier is free. It's time to do the right thing, and it's up to you and me. There is no way to justify when justice is a great big lie. Time to set him free, it's been too long. If he dies in jail, it'd be a crying shame, and we'd all be to blame. It's time to set him free, it's been too long. In South Africa, they set Mandela free. Right here and now, it's up to you and me. We have to make our leaders see. Time to set him free. It's time to set him free. It's time to set him free. It's been too long. Too long. Too long. Leonard Peltier's been sitting in jail too long. Let him go now so he can go to the powwow with his grandchildren. Let him go free, it's been too long. Let him go free, it's been too long. That song was recorded. Oh, there you go. It's been too long. We should let Leonard Peltier grow free. Yeah, we should. So that uh, was a little addition to that recorded piece that was on CNN uh, from my friend Noah Gray. Noah Gray, at the time, I said he was going into his senior year of high school. He got to intern with CNN, and uh, I met him when I was doing mornings on WINZ in Miami, and he was a listener, and he would come in when he was in high school. And be sort of a correspondent for me. And then he got an internship with CNN. He went to college in in uh, Washington, D.C. And CNN hired him out of school. He's now a producer there. He's doing really well. And I knew him when. All right. So there you go. That is our little uh, um, look back at something that's still going on. Again, that show was 13 years ago on Air America Radio. And Leonard Peltier is still in prison for a crime that he probably did not commit. Um, It's terrible. The way we treat Native Americans in this country is just awful. Joe Biden can do something about this. Barack Obama should have done something about this. Bill Clinton should have done something about this. He's been in prison for, what did I say, 47 years? Enough already. I'm glad Brittany Griner is home. Uh, I know they're talking about Julian Assange. I thought it was time to reintroduce Leonard Peltier into the conversation. Again, for some people, he's never left the conversation. And I, you know, and, and I come on here and one of the listeners says, I'm 54 years old. I've never heard of him or this story before. That 
says so much. Because again, Wounded Knee happened in 1975. You've heard of Wounded Knee. Why don't you know Leonard Peltier's name? Because we don't talk about him enough. And he's 78 years old now. Ill in prison. Can we let him out? Let him go home and at least live out the rest of his life in dignity? My God. I don't know what's wrong with this country, but come on, President Biden. You can send him a note. I will put that... um, uh, the the film, a link to the film that Robert Redford produced, Incident at Ogallala, on my blog where I post the show. It'll be at NicoleSandler.com slash 12-12-22. So watch it. And um, we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great night. All right. I'll leave you with the news because, you know, we can. And I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. We won't get all the details until Tuesday, but I think this story is groundbreaking enough to lead off the week with it. The Financial Times and Washington Post are reporting that scientists have been able to, for the first time, produce a fusion reaction that creates a net energy gain, about 120% of the energy it consumed, which is a big deal. They say it's still at least a decade, maybe decades away from commercial use. But this development will likely be touted by the Biden administration as an affirmation of a massive investment by the government. This is going to be big. Details Tuesday. Brittany Griner is back on American soil after a 10-month-long nightmare that found her in a Russian penal colony. Her freedom was granted Friday after the Biden administration negotiated a prisoner swap for the notorious Russian arms dealer Victor Boot. Of course, the twice-impeached failed fraud of a former president blasted the deal shortly after it was announced, denouncing President Biden for negotiating Griner's release. He said she, quote, hates our country. And he proclaimed that he should have gotten former Marine Paul Whelan out instead and claimed that he would have. And then he said that he actually turned down a prisoner swap deal with Russia that would have traded boot for Whelan. Well, Paul Whelan's brother David took issue and he tweeted out Friday, quote, Former President Trump appears to have mentioned my brother Paul Whelan's wrongful detention more in the last 24 hours than he did in the two years of his presidency in which Paul was held hostage by Russia. And then in parentheses, zero. He finished, I don't suggest he cares now any more than he did then. And again, in parentheses, Zero. Fiona Hill, a former National Security Council Russia specialist, revealed that the former guy, quote, wasn't particularly interested in securing Paul Whelan's release. He's been a prisoner of Russia since 2018. Hill said a prisoner swap was raised several times by Russian officials who, quote, had every intent on trading imprisoned Americans for individuals in U.S. custody. Again, Fiona Hill said Trump wasn't particularly interested. Well, congressional leaders returned to Capitol Hill to start the new week with a deadline of Friday to reach a deal to keep federal agencies funded and avoid another government shutdown. Both sides have agreed to $858 billion in defense spending, but a deadlock remains over $26 billion in non-defense spending increases wanted by the Democrats. Now, the Democrats can pass the bill in the House with a simple majority, but they still need 10 Republicans in the Senate to get past a filibuster and advance the legislation. So here we go. Some Republicans are calling for a short-term fix. 
and then a long-term bill once Republicans take control of the House in January. Oy. But the Dems have one fewer vote in the House caucus today as Karen Bass officially resigned from Congress to be sworn in as the first woman to serve as mayor of Los Angeles. The 69-year-old, now former member of Congress, Karen Bass, took the oath of office as Los Angeles's 43rd mayor on Sunday, the first woman and second black person to hold the office. She was sworn in by Vice President Kamala Harris, and Bass said that Los Angeles is at an inflection point as the city deals with a homelessness crisis, climate change, an affordable housing shortage, and the coronavirus pandemic. She said she would declare a state emergency on homelessness on Monday, her first full day in office, adding, quote, I call on our city to not just dream of the L.A. we want, but to participate in making the dream come true. With Bass's resignation from the House, there are now 218 Democrats to 213 Republicans with four vacancies. That means Democrats can only lose two votes on any bill. And by the way, there hasn't been a 218-seat House majority with 435 members in 90 years. Just saying. Now, of course, this all comes at a time of record political polarization. In New York City on Saturday night, a collection of radical right-wing figures, including white nationalists and ultra-nationalist European leaders, gathered for the New York Young Republicans Club annual gala, where that group's president declared, quote, total war on perceived enemies. I think that would include you and me. One of the featured speakers, if you can call her that, was Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said that she would have done a better job leading the January 6th insurrection. Then January 6th happens, and next thing you know, I organize the whole thing along with Steve Bannon here. And I want to tell you something, if Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. That's the party that'll be in charge of the House of Representatives when the 218th Congress convenes starting January 3rd, 2023. Good luck to us all. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is 100% listener supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com, and please click on that donate button.